All right, I will uh, get us rolling here. We're going to be in um, Amos 8, 4 uh, is where we're going to start. We'll, we'll read into uh, chapter 9 uh, there. I, I highly recommend, uh, if you have a Bible, to get there. Uh, we're going to be walking through the text today. Um, uh, and if you, yeah, and again, if you don't have one, I think we've got some line around um, here uh, that you can get to. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please talk to me. We can get you a Bible, uh, like to take with you. I believe we believe very dearly uh, in in the uh, the ultimate authority of Scripture that it is that it is one of the best things, if not the best thing, we can have through the Spirit, through 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 Scripture. We know what we know and how to live rightly. And so we really want to get those into hands of people. I think that that is. More than, words, more than the words that I can say, the word of the Lord is going to shape us as a people and affect our community. So we want to get those to you. Let us know if you need one. Um, Amos has been a, I don't know, has been a, a, a multifaceted uh, series for us. It's been uh, as experience uh, as, as the preachers. It's been really fun to go through the book of Habakkuk and then Amos this summer. Um, it's really challenged us uh, as, as pastors, as preachers. Um, it's really uh, slowed down, you know, kind of the, 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 the gravity, the weight of, uh, of sin, uh, the weight of the cross, uh, and really kind of helped us to, to, to tighten up. I've, I've likened it oftentimes to a boot camp. Uh, that's not simply for our minds to understand something, but for a unity of our hearts and our wills uh, that we might uh, feel, we might, we might uh, reject our sin and turn to Christ uh, in this. Um, there, there is something that I'd like to point out. One of the things that's beautiful about um, just the structure of Parkview is that we are, we are one church in three locations. And so um, additionally with that, we have live preaching at each one of the campuses. So uh, today, possibly even right now at this moment, there are three pastors preaching this text in our county today. And that's just fantastic. Uh, and, and because of the gift uh, that God has given us of technology, um, we record them and we put them online. And so I'd encourage you. Uh, I've benefited from it. I try to listen to all, the ser- all of the sermons. Um, and, uh, and I found it just to be just compelling, especially within Amos. Uh, we're, we're getting the same truths. We're getting the same gospel. But, but the way that we preach it is so different, especially in Amos. And I, I'd really encourage you to go, go online or, or get on to a, a podcast or whatever and listen to some of the other campuses, how they're preaching and, and doing this, because you're going to get a Josh Casey kind of way of, uh, of preaching Amos. Uh, and there are other ways. And it's just, it's wonderful just to hear the same text preached in a different way and uh, to the same family of God, you know. And so I'd really encourage you to go that way. It's one of those beautiful things. We'll try and post that up here um, this week on, uh, on Facebook just to get you kind of the link so you can, um, so you can listen to some of those. They're, they're great. Our, our other brothers who are preaching, as you saw with Thomas last week, are just excellent at preaching and a real joy to preach alongside them. So we're at the tail end of Amos. Um, we've, uh, I think we're on six weeks. This is week five of six. Uh, next week, obviously, is going to be the end. Uh, and so here's some of the things that we've kind of looked at. Uh, we've really been looking at this exploration of the holiness of God. I think that's kind of a big, a big deal that's happening here. Uh, the exploration of the holiness of God and his requirements for something like this, uh, what I would call a symbiotic unity between, um, between our worship and our justice, between our religious life and our social life. And he says that it's so interwoven, ingrained, that they feed off each other. We have a hollow worship if we're not actually doing something in our society, but also we have kind of a weird social justice initiative if it's not connected to our worship. 
And so he's bringing these together in a way that they, they feed off of each other. They need each other and saying, oh, Israel, this is what you need to be doing. This is what you're called to do as my special people. And we see that through Christ that, that many things have changed from Israel to the church. But that, that directive has not, that that's something for us, that our worship and our justice are interwoven. And so we're looking through this. Um, some of the ways that we've talked about this a bit is we've said that, it's, um, that there is a, a decadent worship. We said that there is a, um, uh, that there's a hollow worship. Today, uh, we're going to look at this idea of our, our faith, um, especially uh, being complacent. So I, I did want to, before I get too far down the road here, I do want to read, um, keep your fingers in, uh, in Amos. I'm actually going to read our, our text. It's kind of a theme for this text here. And so I wanted to read this as we begin here. So if you are able to, out of reverence for God's word, I'd ask that you stand. We'll be in Ephesians uh, 5. I'm just going to read that as kind of the overview of what our text today is going to. Ephesians 5 says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, for the days are evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, I, I, I switch over to Ephesians and, and bring this idea of waking up, because I, I really feel that that is what's happening here with Amos. Now, I'm not a pastor who really loves writing sermon titles, but if this one has a sermon title. Um, so it is a divine shaking. Uh, the Lord is waking up his people. And he is going to shake them hard. Uh, so what is this idea of complacent, though? Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. This idea of complacent faith. I think sometimes this idea of complacent faith, we, don't have, we kind of have a, a, a weird definition of it. Sometimes it can seem more like a, a satisfaction. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm satisfied. Things are great. Uh, and maybe it's a, a little bit of an, an ignorance um, of, uh, of what actually is at, at stake. So I'm helping my, uh, one of my daughters learn how to ride her bike. And so I hang on to the bike. She gets done. Uh, she gets done riding. She doesn't realize I've been balancing her the whole time. She gets done, and she says to mom, I just rode my bike by myself the whole way. I'm like, uh, not really, but she's satisfied. There's a bit of an ignorance there. She's not being arrogant about it, but that's one side of it, kind of an ignorant complacency. There's this other side of it where, where we kind of say, you know, you know that guy that's on, like, the sports team that he's like, I won the game, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the, you get those in the interviews after, after, the, uh, after the games, and they're just awful. Or maybe you have a, a coworker, this is taking us down a bad road, but you have someone who always takes all the glory and says, it's me. I don't have a team. It's me. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the Cavaliers with LeBron James, and there might be some other players on the team, um, although he's pretty humble about that, um, kind of. Uh, so I'm digging a hole right now. The, uh, so this idea... Of complacency. Sometimes we go a little too offensive, aggressive. Sometimes we go a little or ignorant of it. But there's this kind of sweet spot here, and I really feel like this text is wakening us up to our complacency. Uh, it's really diagnosing what complacency in our faith is. As you may have been reading the definition here, it is a showing of a smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself and one's achievements. When we take this idea of complacency into our faith, it's saying, "Yeah, I'm good." I'm forgiven. I'm fine. I don't need to do anything. Also, look at my success. It's me. I, I did a nice job on that. I'm pretty holy. Uh, I think in the New Testament, uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees out on this all the time. 
But when we get to this idea of complacency, that I, I had a hard week, I had a good, a good week, got a lot done, I'm done, and I'm going to celebrate the work that I did this week. We kind of sit on this, and we forget that God is the one doing these things. And what Amos is doing here, because I think we all do this in a subtle way, Amos is going to raise the stakes of this. He's going to say, this, O Israel, this, O church, is really, really offensive to God. Because what it does when we are complacent in our faith, when we feel like we're good and we got it and we're going to church, what it does is that it is an utter rejection of who God is. And so I want to go through this uh, maybe three ways here. Complacent faith is a rejection of God's power, of God's word, and God's name. There's your outline. It's a rejection of God's power, it's a rejection of God's word, and it's a rejection of God's name. Now, at this point, we can, we can look back down at our, at our Bibles here. Uh, we'll pick up here in uh, chapter 8, verse 4. We are literally going to be reading through this, and we'll be working through this at an amazing speed. So buckle up. Complacent faith is a rejection of God's power. That's our first point. Verses 4 through 6, let's read them. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor uh, of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make an ephah small and a shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy, buy, from, uh, buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat. Okay, what is he saying there? That was very Old Testament prophet. Uh, kind of language. It's, it's right at the beginning. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. You who create an injustice. But he's not just saying that, like we're going out and trampling physically on the poor. He's saying you're doing that by doing something. There's a nerdy term, present participle, right after that. By saying is the next word. By saying this. You are trampling and creating an injustice by saying this. And what does he say? I'll summarize it and update the language. When does church get over so I can get back to thinking about work? It's Sunday. The work day is going to begin tomorrow, if not tonight. When can I get done with my religious requirements so that I move on? When can we just, okay, this prayer is so long. I just want to eat. Like, just finish the prayer. Let's move on. Uh, too tired to pray before bed. It's not that you have to do those prayers then, but it's that mentality. When are my religious duties done? It's, it's an incredible compartmentalization of our faith. He says, when's this over so I can get back to the real stuff? Because that's where my success is. That's where my strength is. That's where I become wealthy. And Amos, if, you, if you've not been here, I'll just recap. Over the last weeks, we find out that Amos is pointing out very clearly that Israel is wrong and they're doomed to destruction because of their arrogance. They think their power is their own. And he's saying, when can we go and do this? Our injustice happens not, when we, not, not exclusively when we like go against people, when we actively go against people. Oftentimes it happens just when we have a bad heart that's complacent and says, everybody's got to get their own. I work pretty hard for mine. I'm a Christian, but God has blessed me. And I'll thank God for my blessing. And Amos says, yeah, but when you do that, you damn up justice. You don't let it flow. You don't let it roll. Like it's got to go through you. Justice and righteousness is not for just you. It's got to continue on. It's got to be more than Sunday morning. It's got to be more than Sunday. It's every day. So here's kind of a recurring theme that we're going to have is wake up to Christ, 
power every day. That is what we have to think of. Wake up to Christ's power every day. Complacent faith is a rejection of God's power. And now we can go to the next slide. The rejection of God's power is a rejection of God's blessing. You see, there's a special relationship that God has with the Israelites. And we hear of that in Amos. God chose Israel as his people, as his, as his special treasured possession. Uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 2, it's a big verse here in Amos. He says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. He says, you're my people. I chose you. That language continues. In, uh, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, God chooses the church. Blessed be the God, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us uh, in him before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and blameless before him. God's choosing this. He's saying, he's saying there's a blessing that comes with this. Now, what, what happens here? He enters into a relationship with his people. And in the Old Testament, what he's talking to right here, the Israelite, with the Israelites, he has a relationship of blessing and curse. It says, I will bless you. You will be my people. I will bless you if you obey. And if you don't obey, it won't go well. They're not obeying, and it's not going well. And we, like Israel, pseudo-thankfully receive God's mercy and justice as he reconciles us to himself. But we, like Israel, also dam up that justice, only filling ourselves, never truly letting justice roll down like waters. A righteousness roll down like an ever-flowing stream. So what is the Lord's response? Now, this is just a crazy thing to me. So as you read, here's a Bible skill. As you read the Bible, there are times where you'll be reading, and it sounds like, oh, God's angry here. Uh, what's, what's he going to do? He's going to punish them. How is he going to punish them? What he says here is really odd. And when you find something that's odd or striking, you should probably pause and ask, What's going on here? And this is one of those. Let's read on here, verses 7 through 10. This is the punishment that the Lord has when his people reject his power here, as Amos says. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Jacob is Israel, and they're arrogant. They are complacent. They are smug and content with themselves. Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account? And everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of the Nile, uh, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. I'll stop there. What's happening here? He says, "I will make the land tremble." Now I want to make a big deal about this. You didn't listen to me. You didn't. Or, uh, you didn't uh, see my power. You rejected my power because of your complacent faith. So what am I going to do? And this is really what it is. I'm going to send an earthquake. That sounds so strange. Because you will not deny that I am God. How do I know this is an earthquake here? He says in verse 8, the land will tremble. But if we use our Bible minds and remember, verse 1 of chapter 1, the whole book opens up with the word of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. And then it says, da 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 gives an introduction. And then it has this weird phrase at the very end of the intro. It says, two years before the earthquake. Well, that answers a question. What happens here? When God prophesies, when he uses someone to prophesize, there are three scopes of this. There's an immediate prophecy fulfilled. There is an eventual prophecy fulfilled, like an earthquake. And there is an ultimate prophecy fulfilled. And we see these three kind of spheres within the prophecy. And so when, when Amos is saying this stuff to people, it wasn't going to be two years until 
this kind of thing happens. People are like, oh, remember that shepherd from Tekoa? That guy was weird. He said that gonna, land's going to tremble. And what does he say here at the ver- end of verse 8? He says, and it is going to rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile. Okay, the ground is going to look like the ebb and flow of the Nile. Like, that's what he's talking about here. He's going to throw an earthquake at him. What happens when your plans go down? We talked about this a bit. You just say, ah, oh, tough luck. The fortune's not in my favor. Or do we lean into the discipline of God? Do we understand that maybe he's speaking to us and teaching us something that we need to know? What happens, though, when we elevate it not to the level of ignorance but of arrogance and we are complacent saying, yeah, I'm good. I'm good with life. And also, I just splashed some some God on it, some Jesus on it. What happens when an earthquake-like force comes at you and it is none other than the Lord? That is the question that Amos is asking the Israelites. Complacent faith is a rejection of God's power, which is a rejection of his blessing. God, you can't help me because you're not actually acting on my, on my behalf. It's me. I am my blessing. And he says, all right, well, let's question. What is your downfall? Let's see if that'll work. The Lord is not happy. <laughs> So the next point, complacent faith is a rejection of God's power. Complacent faith is a rejection of God's word. We're going to to jump ahead here to verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but hearing the words of the Lord. We'll pause. Time and time again in Amos, Israel rejects the word of the Lord. I counted it up here. I think it's the phrase the Lord says or the phrase the Lord declares or some combination of the Lord said or says the Lord or whatever. Anything that the Lord is saying or declaring occurs 46 times in these nine chapters. The Lord is saying a lot in the book of Amos. Additionally, we we have the instruction, the the, the command to hear. We get that six times. And, and so as I've, as I've kind of said before, when, when something's repeated in the Bible, it's, it's like you're writing and you just write over it again. And so the more it's repeated in, in the Bible, the bolder it gets, the louder it should be. The Lord is saying a whole awful lot in the book of Amos about what he says, and then he's bringing us to hear. Hear it, hear it, hear it. Hear what the Lord says. And Why? Chapter 3, verse 7, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the the prophets. Because the Lord's telling us this is how it works. I want you to know what reality is, and I want you to align to that reality. I am doing a great work. This is the gift of the word of the Lord. God doesn't have to speak. God doesn't have to reveal himself. Out of his power, out of his love, he reveals himself. That's what's happening here. And the people reject it. Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Thomas beautifully unpacked uh, uh, the the visions and and this this throwdown with the priest Amaziah for us. In in chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, Amaziah the priest, so I'll clarify that, the priest is, is the guy who's supposed to be the representative voice of God. He says to Amos, O seer, go flee to the land of Judah and prophesy there. But never again prophesy in Bethel for the king's, for this is the king's sanctuary. Not the Lord king, but the man king. 
and it is the temple of the kingdom. So here's kind of a principle. Rejection of God's word is a rejection of his instruction. That's a big deal what Amaziah says. He says, I'm the one speaking on behalf of God. Well, that's what his position is. He's obviously not speaking on behalf of God. And he says, go away, you who have been chosen as the voice of God. Go away because this is where the king rules. That's a very, very big deal. Here, let me rephrase this to something that seems more complacent, less offensive, and more modern to maybe how we would say it, because I don't think we're all saying God doesn't know what he's talking about. What authority does God have in my life? Maybe, maybe we ask this question, does God really care about this? We do the same thing that Amaziah did. We reject the word of the Lord when we question, I don't, it seems really stuffy. We just heard a lot of really rough stuff in Amos. Does he really mean that for me? Yes emphatically, he means that for you. It's tough for me to come up here because I, I, I just in the preparation, it's like every week, I'm like, Amos, you're so intense. I've got to say those intense things, but the joy that I have is that I know that I'm saying the truth of what God has. And that is a beautiful thing. It's not easy doing, uh, doing saying the things that I have to say, but it's, it's, it's a joy that we get to repeat what God says. That's why we, that we hang so closely to his words and not mine. Rejection, uh, complacent faith is a rejection of God's word. Rejection of God's word is a rejection of his instruction. Why does God really care about every detail of our lives? It's because he really cares about us. He cares about you individually. He cares about his holiness. And he really, really cares that those things overlap, you and his holiness. And that can only be done through Christ. That's why the Lord gives us so many good directions in his revealed word. So what is the Lord's eventual response? This gets back to what we just read. Silence. That's his response. His eventual, his eventual prophecy and fulfillment is that of silence. They will walk around and they will have a famine. Not of, not of thirst or water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, lovely virgins and the young men shall, fall, shall faint for thirst, not of water, but of the word. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, Our God lives, O Dan, and say, The way of Beersheba lives, they fall and never rise again. What is worse than an angry, sovereign God? A silent, angry, sovereign God. God has said, I will not listen to you. I will not receive your sacrifices. That was a couple chapters ago. And here, God says, and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You are just getting silence. And we know through literature, we know through archaeology, that that silence came for 400 years Nothing. All of these horrible things come true as punishment. And the people ask, why? And God says, nothing. You know the relationship is over when you're done talking. That's where they're at. That's where complacent faith takes us if we don't wake up to Christ. 
And I think it's so rough. Here, here's, here's some more of this. We'll get into his, his destruction here. Because he doesn't stay silent quite yet. That is an eventual response. There is a more immediate response right here for us. Uh, I'm going to summarize a bit on chapter, or on verses 9 through, uh, or chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. He says, at this point, he saw the Lord standing by the altar. So now he is in the temple. Amaziah said, well, this is the temple of the other king, and now the Lord stands in his temple. And he says, tear it down. Tear it down and shake the thresholds. Shatter the capitals that are holding up this temple. Shatter it on the heads of the people. And then he gets really intense here. This is so uncomfortable. He says, uh, anyone who's left, kill him with a sword. If anyone runs away, uh, we'll, we'll go find him. Verse 2, if they dig into Sheol, I will reach into death and I will pull them out to punish them. Man, if they uh, run up to, if they climb up to heaven, I'm going to pull them down. If they hide themselves on top of Mount Carmel, I'll find them. I'll take them out. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, then I'll send a serpent. He'll bite them. And if they go into captivity, their punishment is not over. I will kill them. I read this and I say, that's our God? That's so intense. But it's only half the story. Why is it so intense? Because his holiness demands it. We can read this and say, that God is intense. And our God can read it and say, and so is your offense. Your offense gets this. So we shouldn't read this and say, I can't worship a God who hates like this. He doesn't hate. He punishes wisely. Why does he deal so harshly with his people? I think, I don't know, I just made a quick rundown because I had to ask myself that question. Uh, here are three things that came up. I'm sure there are many more reasons. Uh, because they're his special people. He uses a special word to call his special people his. He signifies them as his own. Uh, two, oh, and because of that, he requires things of them. Two, he outlined the relationship of the detail, blessings and curses, obedience and promise. Three, he cares a lot about the holiness of his people and complacent, I'm, my faith is okay, kind of walking around is not on track towards holiness because it miscommunicates who God is and how he works. And that is why God has called out his people to communicate who he is and how he works. And these Israelites and any of us who are complacent in our faith, which is probably most of us, are not communicating the faith and the person and the purposes of God as clearly as needed. So wake up to Christ. We're almost there. I keep saying that. We haven't yet got to Christ. We've got one more. Complacent faith is a rejection of God's very name. And this one is strange to us now, but I want to help us to understand it. This is going to help us a lot when we're in the Old Testament. Um, okay, so the name of the Lord, it comes up very suddenly, unexpectedly. Verses 5 through 6. He's talking about all this punishment. He takes a break. And then in verse 7, he's going to go back to, you know, kind of yelling at him a bit more. Verse 5, the Lord, the God of hosts, he who touches the earth and melts, who dwells, uh, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all, the, and all of it rises like the Nile, and it sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds its upper chambers in heavens, and founds its vault upon the earth, who calls forth the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface 
of the earth, the Lord is his name. I'm just going to make this really short. The first line of verse 5, the last line of verse 6. The Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his name. If you're looking in a Bible, which I really hope you are, you're going to see that the Lord is his name in verse 6. All capital letters, L-O-R-D. That is the covenantal relational name of God. It is Yahweh. I am. That is his name. When he says the Lord is my name, why does he throw out this random thing of like, I'm just going to go off on my name. He's saying because we have a relationship. We have a relationship. It is special. It says, you aren't special people because this stuff just happens. You're special people because you're my people. And this is my name that I seal it with. The Lord, Yahweh. So in English, whenever you read, all capital, L-O-R-D. If yours doesn't say L-O-R-D, don't throw your Bible away. Just know that. Um, that that's there. He's saying, you are my special people. And what happens when we turn away from the name of the Lord it's that we have a rejection. Uh, a rejection of God's name is a rejection of his relationship. Now, this is confession time for this pastor here. Um, I, I'm just wrestling with this because I feel like I do this. Like, I throw his name away oftentimes. You know, I mean, it's not just like in what you say. It's kind of the action. It's the motive behind it that he's talking about. Um, so I find North Liberty coffee shops to be a little bit more, like, friendly to Christians. Um, and so I throw open my Bible. At like, 6 a, it's 6 a.m. on Tuesdays, I'm there at Capana, reading a couple hours out there in the open, talking with people about it. I don't even think about it. I go down to the Java house on Washington Street, and I feel a little different when I am open up my Bible down at the Ped Mall. And uh, I don't know why, but I wonder sometimes if it's because I don't actually really believe that this word is what it is and could stand up to someone. I think sometimes I, I wonder, I just don't want to get into an apologetic debate right now. I just want to do my work. That's complacency. That's me, that's me like making an excuse. It's a good excuse, but it's not. Um, I wonder if praying in public, I wonder if reading scripture in public, I wonder if going to each other's houses in public is some, it, it might be more formative for us in realizing that we actually believe this. If I believe, it's really easy for me to talk like I am right now behind the safety of this pulpit. I mean, it's metal, that's really nice, but it's also, they gotta get through all of you to get to me, and uh, why do I make that change? Now, I'm not saying, please help me with this. I'm giving you an invitation to think about your own lives as well. Why do we do that? Do we really believe this word is the word that it is? Because I think if we did, We'd be different people. We'd do different things. We'd talk differently. We'd say, you may not believe in it, but I'll pray for you, and then actually do pray for someone. That's a nice, easy way to go there. Hey, you know what? This reminds me of something. I, I believe the Bible is a big deal. Here's something the Bible says, and I found it to be really comforting and really helpful. Man, what if we offered that up to people just regularly? Hmm. What he does here, he responds in a way that Josh wouldn't respond, but thank God that I didn't write the Bible. Here's how he responds. He shakes him. He wakes him up, and that's where we're going. Verse 7, are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtar and the Syrians from Kerr? Right there, he says, you are my special people. But wait a second. I thought they were his special people because he brought them out of Egypt. Like, I've always thought that. Wait, you're telling me that you actually sovereignly directed the Philistines? That's like Goliath, David and Goliath, Philistines. 
And the Syrians who are about to take them over, you're actually directing them too? Wait, we're not special because you divinely inspire or you divinely direct our, uh, our, our way of living? I didn't get to the job that I'm it at because I'm special? The reason we're special to God is not because he sovereignly, specifically only works in us, and so only Christians are blessed. That's called prosperity gospel. We are special to God because he knows us relationally. That's why. He says, I work with all these other pagan nations. They didn't turn to me, but you're my special people. So act like it. If you believed you were special enough to be forgiven, you should believe you're special enough to keep the relationship rolling. So he wakes him up with an earthquake. Behold, the eyes of the Lord, this is verse 8, are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except I will not utterly destroy it. Ha ha. Not entirely. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel from among the nations, as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble fall, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. And all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who says, disaster shall not overtake or even meet us. He says, I'm going to destroy you. You're arrogant, but not all of you. But the ones I don't destroy, I'm going to shake you. I'm going to wake you up. I have a plan. So let's go to that. Here's where we get to application. That is the text there for us. So here you go, three points. Wake up to the power of the Lord. This is why we read Ephesians. It says, wake up, O sleeper. Ephesians 13, 11 through 14. I think we've got some of that on the screen here for you. You can follow along. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's beautiful. Wake up, he says. And I, I want to be very clear right now. I'm kind of rolling here and moving toward the end uh, and trying to beat the kids coming back. I want to be clear. At this point in the sermon, we're no longer talking specifically about Israel or Christians because we all have faith in something. Uh, complacent faith is not just Christian faith. It's, it's, it's all. The message is for all of us sinners to wake up to Christ. We may not all have faith in Christ, but we do all have sin. It is not only bad Christianity that offends God, but it is sin. Sin is a rejection of the Lord's sustaining power, of his authoritative word, of his relationship-keeping name. That's what sin does. It rejects him outright. In subtle ways, in grandiose ways, it's a rejection. The gospel is that God saves sinners, but who can be saved if they're not woke to the injustice of their sinful self-righteousness. Amos's message to Israel is Jesus's message to the Jews, which is the Bible's message to, to us. You are not okay without Christ. He's shaking you up. Wake up. Hear the vast loving plan of God. So wake up to the power of the Lord. The next point of application, hear the word of the Lord. It's the spoken, the written word. So here we go. It's profitable for us. Read your Bible. There we go. Ha, surprise, the pastor said that. Why, why would I say something so simple so often? I think, I think we need to go into this. Why repeat this so much? Uh, it's kind of like the bold uh, repeating. 
because not many of us read our Bibles this week. That's why. <laughs> That's just the honest, awkward reality. Uh, I'm not going to take a survey and raise hands here like I did with serving. Uh, we don't read our Bibles as much as we do. Maybe if I rephrase that, we don't hear our Bibles that much or as much as we should. And maybe if I rephrase that again, because uh, not many of us who as Christians, which means that we proclaim that we are Christ followers, when we don't listen to the word, we're not actually listening to the words of Christ and how can we follow him if we're not doing that. We say we're Christians, which suggests we're doing what he says, but we're not listening to what he says. So read your Bible. And, and I know it can be hard. Like some of this stuff in here, this language in here is kind of confusing or whatever. Here are things you can do when you read. Read it. That's a good one. Ask questions. I've asked several questions of the text today in front of us. Uh, write and apply principles to life. So here maybe some suggestions. Uh, reread Amos or Habakkuk. So maybe you say Amos is weird. Well, we've had six weeks in it. You can listen to sermons on it. And go read it again and see, do you come to the same conclusions? What is the Lord saying to you here? Go back to Habakkuk and, uh, and ask those questions. Uh, these, uh, if you want to read ahead, uh, on Fridays, our, our weekly email goes out, and it actually says what the preaching text is. That gives you Friday and Saturday. You could actually read ahead. Here's something that's really awesome about this. Like, you don't have to do this. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just inviting you into some creative ways to read it if it seems overwhelming. Um, it, it's awesome, if, you, if you've never done it, to read the text and ask some questions before you go to the sermon. Because then you're not getting the cold read, like you probably maybe heard Amos 9 for the first time right here, and it's, well, that's weird. You don't do that. Now you're asking questions, and you're in dialogue with me. Well, that's, that's a different kind of learning. It's a really cool thing. I suggest you try that. Uh, or you can read way ahead. We're going to launch this series uh, in Genesis 1 through 11 this fall. And I ask you, this is a great conversation, maybe read Genesis 1 through 11. Some of you have already asked this kind of a question too. Read it and then, and then distill all your questions down to your three best questions. I would love it if you would send those to me. JKC at parkviewchurch.org. Send those to me. It helps so that we can be in dialogue on that. I, I can't promise that I'll answer every question that's asked in a sermon, but I will reply to however you go about it. It's just a great exercise. What are these big questions that I have? And then we can all learn together and we can all be in dialogue. Hearing is not the same as just listening. We can listen to the word. Hearing means that we're chewing on it, that we're obeying it, that we're hearkening to it and it's making effect in our lives. So hear the word of the Lord. So it's not simply the spoken word, the written word. We see the illustrated word. It's the incarnate word. This is where Christ comes. The incarnate word. Uh, John 1, 14 says, the word took on flesh. It, it became a tabernacle. He, he brought, put a tent, a booth on us. Heads up, verse 11, the booth of David that has fallen. That's going to be helpful for you. Jesus Christ is that booth. He puts that on. He, he, he becomes that for us. He is the word of God. He is the power of God above every ruler and authority. And he is that relationship. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But as he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is using that name of God, I am, specifically. I am the relational God, and I make the way for that relationship. So we wake up when we see that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Christ forgives. That is how we fight complacency. But it's not just complacency that, that gets it and wakes up and lays there in the morning. 
thinking about it. Yeah, complacency, we resist that by actually getting up and doing something, not just waking up. So the final one here is love as the Lord instructs. Let's go back a moment to Romans 13, 11 through 12. The hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep and put on Christ. And now we read what happens before that. So verses 11 through 12 talk about waking up. But prior to that, we get uh, verses 8 through 10, which speak of this idea of love, which is that which we wake up to. Oh, nothing, uh, oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one, uh, another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the big takeaway verse. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's where it goes. We take our worship, God loves us, and we turn it into justice, so we love others. Wake up so that your day is focused on loving God, which is worship, and loving others, which is justice, and then blend those together into every action. That's what Amos is calling the people back to. That's what Christ calls us back to. So my encouragement for you would be, wake up to Christ every day. It's not just a Sunday morning or a Sunday thing. And maybe I want to give you that. Rather than just yell at you, wake up to Christ every day. How do we do that? Uh, here's one way that I do it. I'm going to close this in a prayer. Now, this is a prayer that I pray almost every morning. Uh, and I got it out of uh, the Luther's small catechism. I'm not Lutheran or anything, but they got great stuff in there. Uh, before you set your day, let's suggest that you remember who you are. It's easy to roll out of bed and get rolling complacently as though we're the ones that do it. It's better to roll out of bed Drop down on your knees for a moment and think about who God is. Think about who you are and then think about how he has already set the course of your goals for the day. And then you can align your schedule to accomplishing those goals. So I want to close with a prayer. Uh, I've only changed this. I'll post this on, on our Facebook group page. Um, I've just changed the words so it's more corporate. It, it, it's specific to the, to the person, but the language is a little different, but it's helpful. This is a prayer to pray to set ourselves for the day. After this, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray.